Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey, let's put our hands together. One big hoorah for all the moms celebrating moms in the room online. So grateful for you guys. Welcome to City Church. Great to have you. Glad you had some giggles this morning because we're not having any more fun the rest of the day, okay? My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us. No matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. We're really glad you just uh, created the space this morning to join us and celebrate, and happy Mother's Day. To the moms in the middle of chaos and, and the joy of keeping little humans alive, props to you, props to you. Uh, to the mom who has watched those little humans grow up and they're still alive, you know, and have left, and you're like kind of excited and kind of not, you know, that space, happy Mom's Day to you. Uh, to the moms to, to be, to the moms in waiting, to the moms who have suffered loss, to the moms who are adopting. We just want you to know we see you, we love you, we're for you, and we're grateful uh, to celebrate you today no matter where you are. And also, I I realize that this day can be a challenging day. It comes with a lot of emotions, um, and it kind of gets targeted in one category, but there's bigger pieces going on, right? Like maybe you grew up and you had great parents and, and a great mom to celebrate, and maybe she's still with you, and so today is a day where you can celebrate her either in person or through a text or a phone call, uh, but maybe that wasn't the case for you. Maybe Mother's Day is a space uh, where you remember that mom was absent or abusive or uh, you know, there's a strained relationship there, or maybe you, you've had a tense relationship with your mom in the past, or you currently have one, and so this is a challenging day for you. Maybe you've lost your mom, or, or in, in any of those spaces in between, and, and we just want you to know we, we love you, we see you, we're, we're for you, and so in this day, we just want to meet you where you are and, and love you well. So we hope that you feel loved and seen. Uh, we want to encourage you, just hang out after the service, connect, encourage one another, make some flowers, get a picture, grab some extra cold brew, all of that stuff. But it's a joy to be with you today, and, and we're in this series that actually fits perfectly with Mother's Day today. I'm so excited to share with you, uh, but we've been in this series called Texting Call, and the first uh, question we wrestled with in, in like two weeks ago was this, this big question, can we trust the Bible? And again, our desire is no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, uh, your love's safe and welcome, we we'll simply want to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps, and we kind of started off with this big question at the beginning of the series, can we trust the Bible. And we landed on this big idea that because Jesus trusts the scriptures, we can trust in the Bible because we trust in Jesus. You can go back and catch that on our podcast, our YouTube channel. It wasn't that simple. It was way more deep than that, okay? That's the summary. But then we landed last week on this definition that's kind of helping us work out, like, what is the Bible? Because it it matters. So there's a definition we're going to throw up on the screen for you just to kind of recap. We said that the, the Bible is a library of writings. It's not a book, but a library that you can literally lay out, look at all the different books, a library of writings that are both divine and human that together are telling a unified story that leads us to Jesus. So that's kind of the recap. You're like, what does that have to do with Mother's Day? Hold on, I'm getting there. We're almost there. So now today I get to, I get to talk about this really, really fun word. And I figure what better time to talk about this hard conversation than on Mother's Day. And this is big, scary word called authority. You guys like that word, right? Mom's in the house. You're like, yeah, bring down the hammer, get out the wooden spoon. 
and cook with it. What do you think we're going <laughs> to do that? Anyway, we're going to talk about this. You know, we have like an allergic reaction to this word, don't we? Like even your kids, your little kids, like just kind of naturally resist. And, and so today we're going to talk specifically about the Bible as authority, and it, it'll flow well into wherever you're walking in on your spiritual journey. I promise it's helpful, but there is this kind of weird thing in our culture, right? This like allergic reaction towards authority, specifically when we start talking about the Bible as authority. Like, ah, I don't know about that. And, and the only way I could sum it up is this quick video that I think sums up how we feel about this word. So watch this video real quick. Now that's power. Tell me about it. I just hear that name and I shudder. Mufasa. Ooh. Do it again. Mufasa. Ooh. Mufasa. Ooh. Mufasa. Ooh. Mufasa. Ooh. It just tingles me. I'm surrounded by idiots. All right, so... That's how moms feel at the end, right? Like, but when we hear the word authority, we're like, ooh, it's, it's got this thing to it that kind of makes us cringe. And so we, we come to this tricky space. We've been talking about the Bible, and, and moms, this is hopefully encouraging for you, but in the space of just all of us wrestling through kind of navigating our life and being our own person and Western individualization and all of that stuff, we've got to ask the question, like, what is authority? And where does this fear that you and I as Westerners have when it comes toward authority? And, and then when we say, like, the Bible is authoritative, like, what does that even mean? And if it's a story, like we talked about last week, how can a story be authoritative once upon a time? Is it like that? How does that work? And then what about, like, the contradictions, we talked about it. We're not going to avoid the hard conversations throughout this series. And so what about some of the things you're like, oh, says one thing here and another here. Can we really trust it? And, and, and if it's a story, I just want you to track with me for a second. It's got a beginning, right? So we're going to kind of go to the beginning, walk through it together. So let's, let's go to Genesis chapter 3 where the story starts to get messed up. Now, Genesis 3, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. That word crafty means like intelligent or devious. And, and he comes to the woman, this is, this is pre what, what uh, theologians would call the original sin. This is the moment when like conflict hits, you know, and this is that, that moment in the movie when everything starts to unfold and you're like, okay, there's the tension. How's it going to resolve? This is that moment, okay? So, so the devil shows up and he says, hey, did God actually say? I want you to just notice that the, the immediate push here is on trust, specifically around what God said, what God said is right and wrong. So when we're dealing with authority, one of the natural issues that we, we wrestle with is like, okay, who gets to define what's right and wrong in my life? And so he goes after trust, specifically in God's word, specifically in the realm of what God defines as good versus not so good. And so he, he said, did God, did God actually say that you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said, well, we, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said... You shall not eat, there's the command, this is not good for you. Don't eat of the, free, uh, the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So immediately pushing on the trust factor, he goes on. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. He's holding out on you. You can't trust him. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She did the thing that God told them not to do. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And Moses would go on to tell us that, that they sew fig leaves together to cover themselves, and they hide themselves from God. And, and I just want you to kind of follow with me for a second, kind of this big tension point, that the big issue here is not a, a fruit tree, 
but trust. Is God really good? Specifically on how God defines good and evil in our lives. And temptation for you and I is always going to come back to trust versus the voice in your head and my head and the desires of our hearts. Are we, are we willing to walk that line? And when uh, you know, theologians are dealing with original sin, what we're really dealing with is an issue of trust. Uh, uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola says it this way. He says that sin, you might not like that word, either the, the mistakes that we make, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but sin is our unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is my deepest happiness. Now, now listen, I don't know where you're walking in. I don't know where your relationship is with God and how you're feeling, but again, when it comes to trust, does he really want our deepest happiness? You see, sin at its core is a trust issue. And, and I want you to understand, like, no one sins out of obligation. So, so it, it's deeper than just like, oh, I got to sin. You know, it's Thursday, 7 o'clock. Don't, don't really want to sin, but you know what? It's time to gossip. Start, start the text thread. Here we go, right? doesn't really work like that. Up oh, Tuesday, 3 p.m., you know what time it is. Time to scroll the gram and covet and envy all my neighbor's stuff. I don't really want to, but I, I just I have to do it, right? Oh, Monday, 11 p.m., time to get on the internet and lust a little bit. I don't really want to, but, you know, it's, it's just in the, it's in the, I can't miss it again. Rescheduled it last week. Friday at 5 p.m., it's time to get plastered. Actually, that, sometimes that one is scheduled, but it's still not good for you. Okay. We, we sin, we, we, and, and again, don't, don't miss the word. If, if sin is a, a struggle to trust that what God says is good, then, then that is an issue of trust because we're believing a lie. For example, we gossip because we, we have this idea that tearing down others is going to make us feel better or that information equals control and power over others. Or, or we envy and, and covet what people have because we think that what they have is what we need to be happy. If I just had that. We, we, we choose lust because we think that short-term pleasure without the cost of intimacy is what we're really looking for and it has no consequence rather than love and self-sacrifice being the pursuit that we put in front of us. We, we, we hit Friday at five o'clock somewhere because we think that escapist behaviors on a Friday night are gonna give us the peace that we're really longing for when God has a better solution. We believe a lie. And so I don't know where you're walking in. I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey, but the scenario and the story of humanity has been playing out from the beginning and it continues today. So here's what's amazing, is we always want to get back to Jesus. And so where Adam and Eve failed and where, you know, you walk through the story of the scriptures, right? Where Israel has failed and where all of human history has failed, where you have failed, where I have failed, Jesus shows up and he did not fail. Let me show you, Matthew chapter four, it plays out all the way to this very scenario. See if you see any parallels. Again, it's a story, right? So follow the thread. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter comes and says to him, if you're the son of God, calling into question trust, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But then Jesus answers, it is written. So Jesus actually, in this space, uses scripture as authority. Even though he's the son of God, don't you know who I am? Jesus could have said, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He goes on in the scenario. Matthew captures for us. Then the devil takes him to the holy city, sets him on top of the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, hey, if you're the son of God, calling into question again, Throw yourself down, for it is written. Here's amazing. The devil knows scripture. <laughs> Uh-oh. So, so there went that little plan of like, hey, quote some scripture, Bible verses, fortune cookies in your pocket, and you're going to be good, right? So here's the devil quoting scripture a little bit out of context. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, 
He'll command his angels concerning you. Ah, touche. On their hands, they're gonna bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Wildly out of context, but he still uses it. Jesus says to him, again, it is written, you shall not put your Lord, your, uh, the Lord your God to the test. And he goes on. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. Now, there's a lot going, here, going on here in the story, but I want to give you the whole scope before we dig into it, okay? There's this amazing conversation between Jesus and the devil happening of really whether or not Scripture can be a source of authority. Can you trust God through Scripture? That's really what's happening. And I just want you to notice, when Jesus is tempted, he doesn't just say no to temptation, which is sometimes, right, when you're having a hard day and you're struggling and you're trying not to do the thing you said you wouldn't do, trying not to say the things you said you wouldn't say, and trying not to, you know, you get in that spot, and you're just like, no temptation. He doesn't do that. Neither does he just quote scripture at the devil as if it's some, like, magical force that that wards off the devil. (laughs) Any, 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 mo, here's a verse, aha, I gotcha. Doesn't work like that. Here's what's amazing. Jesus trusts in Scripture as an act of trust in God. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus trusts in Scripture as an act of trust in God, and that's his source of victory here. And so what Jesus is doing in this scenario, and I don't want you to miss it because it's so amazing how real this scenario is. Jesus is saying, this is true. This is good. I believe it as reality, the things that God says. Therefore, I'm going to live into it, even though everything else around him is saying the opposite. His stomach is saying the opposite, isn't it? I'm hungry. I could do that. His pride would say the opposite. Aren't you the son of God? I thought you could, you know, take care of yourself. And then actually others would say the opposite. He offers him the kingdom and the world without the cross and without the suffering, without sacrifice. And everyone else would mock Jesus for that decision. And so everything else is screaming against this, but Jesus says, you know what, I trust God and his reality in this space. So I don't want you to miss Jesus' posture here. This is the posture we've been trying to adopt as a church. And if you're kind of on the outside, not, not really sure what you believe about Jesus and the Bible and church and all that stuff, this is a really helpful space for us to look on the outside in and say, okay, like what's Jesus and his approach to the scriptures? So in this space, Jesus is trusting in the scriptures as spiritual authority in his life even though he is spiritual authority himself. It's amazing. So, so the challenge and the question for you and I is could you and I come to the place where we trust in Scripture like Jesus? Now, let's not pretend like it's that easy because we live in the West and we have this allergic reaction to authority in general and biblical authority even more so, right? You go to college and you go to one freshman class and all of a sudden everything you thought you knew is debunked and the Bible says didn't hold up, and now what are we going to do? But here's what's interesting, right? You go around the world, other cultures actually don't struggle with authority like you and I do, right? You and I, I mean, we really have a hard time with authority in general, specifically biblical authority, but then you go to another culture, and and actually their, their issue is not with authority, but maybe actually concepts like love and forgiveness are really challenging in certain cultures around the world, where you and I, we're Western, we're like, oh yeah, love and forgiveness? Yeah, man, sign me up until we actually have to do it. Then, I mean, it's different then, right? We don't want to actually do it, but in concept, it sounds great. We, we, we live in, you know this, we live in most, possibly like the most anti-authoritarian city in the country, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, you know, like, like we, we have the speak your truth and be true to yourself and like resist. 
I don't know what we're resisting, but like I was at a new coffee shop the other day and they have that cool resist flag in the window and I'm like, yeah, what are we resisting? Other coffee shops? I don't know. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, like we, we have this challenge with authority and, and, and again, our, our culture has this space of do what you want as long as it doesn't harm anyone else, right? But the problem that we face in our culture is that we don't all agree on what harm looks like. That's a conversation for another day. We won't go there today. But biblical authority, right? Here's what we're assuming. Here's what we're walking into. Are we really going to live and, and submit to the teachings of a collection uh, of a set of ancient literature? Are we, are we really going like, to set our own desires and our own intuition aside, all of our cultural wokeness aside, and are we going to actually submit to this ancient library for our lives and call it God's word for us? Most people are like, mm, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I just like, lost all of you, right? You're like, dang, well, if that was your argument, you did not do a good job. Hang with me, hang with me. One of the issues is that we have a very challenging view around authority. We misunderstand this, and part of it is because you and I live in a, a space of structural authority. This is something you're familiar with. This is top-down, positional, I got a name badge, therefore I'm, I'm in control authority. And, and the challenge with the culture that you and I live in, and some of our homes are like this, some of the homes you grew up in are like this, some of you are kind of recovering from spaces like this to where you're only loved based on a structural authority. And so then our obedience or our, our, our following, our trust, there is no trust. There's, no, there's nothing fueled by love or trust, but ev rather everything is about consequence, right? If I'm in line, then I don't receive the consequences. I do the speed limit, then I don't get a ticket. And, and there's a place for that, right? Like structural authority is great in some ways, but structural authority doesn't set your heart free, Right? All of us are looking for that line and just curious if we can, you know, oh, speed limit's 50, 53, 55, oh, it changed, but there's no cops around, 60. <laughs> we, we have these like, oh, you know, like, they're, they're boundaries. They're like, like, you know the little bumpers when you're at a bowling alley for the kid's space? You know, you put the bumpers up and you can't get a gutter. Like, like structural authority functions as like the, the bumpers for our lives. They're kind of like boundaries, but you and I both know this, that you, you and I can't legislate morality at a heart level. And so, so legislation is important, and, and it provides boundaries, but it, but it doesn't change the heart. And, and so there's tons of challenges and opinions that we're not getting into this morning, but like you, if you're not, if you've been living in a hole, you would know this, but like the tension in our country right now around Roe v. Wade is a result of those spaces. So structural authority is really challenging because it only has the ability to accomplish so much. But you and I both know that, that those boundaries don't change us at a heart level. So then what can? So when we get to this space of spiritual authority. And, and when we're talking about the word of authority, I don't want you to miss this. If you're taking notes, like these definitions are really, really important. When we're talking about spiritual authority, and specifically when we see Jesus talking about it, what we're talking about is an access point into reality itself. So we're not talking about a position. We're talking about a person. We're talking about God himself as reality. And so central to the writers of the scriptures both Old and New Testament, is this idea that God functions as spiritual authority. And with that comes into the fabric of the universe, woven into the universe, this sort of moral knowledge that, that kind of functions in our hearts at the, at the deepest level. Uh, the Old Testament writers use this word of wisdom. You've probably heard it before. Wisdom, but it's this Hebrew word, chokmah, which is not like street smarts. But, but it's, it's about living in alignment with reality. And so, so the Old Testament writers would write, like, you can know ethics, you can know morality, like you can know science. They, they, they treated them in the same category, that there is a relational and a spiritual and emotional kind of law, if you will, that is just as real and alive as the law of gravity. You guys tracking with me? 
So the Bible, if it's story primarily, which we talk about a lot over the last couple of weeks, if it's statements about reality, then I need you to catch this. Jesus saw himself and his teachings and the scripture as access points, doorways, if you will, into reality. So that's why more times than not, you don't see a list of rights and wrongs, rules and regulations, do this, don't do this, but you see over and over again from Jesus statements about reality that you and I are then invited to live into. And we talked about this. The Bible is challenging and it's hard and so we don't pick it up and then we don't have access into this space. But we're invited to understand. Check this out, Matthew chapter seven. This is Matthew capturing for us one of the times that Jesus is teaching. And so Jesus, he, he, teaching in the temple, finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority not as their scribes. What a stab, right? Like for everybody else, like, ooh, not as everybody else. Jesus had authority. Where did it come from? It came from himself. Jesus was a living witness into reality itself. And what's amazing is Jesus had zero structural authority, right? He had no influence with any of the structural authority. In fact, he was cast out over and over again by all of the structural authority around him, yet he carries the spiritual authority. And I don't want you to miss the heart here, okay? It's not, it's not a power to control you and me and humanity. It's not a power to manipulate or, or to coerce. When Jesus would present reality, people would listen to him and they would reject what he was saying. You know what he would let them do? He'd let them walk. He, he doesn't smite them. He doesn't hand out like a spiritual parking ticket. He doesn't like charge you know, negative dollars to their purgatory, purgatory account. That's a joke. Purgatory is not a thing, okay? It's, a, it's made up, but that's kind of funny, okay? But right, he, he, what does he do? He lets them walk. You see, because we have to decide if we're going to live in alignment with Jesus and the scriptures or not. And, and Jesus, he, he has such respect. This is amazing. He has such respect for human dignity that he allows us to make decisions even if they're going to destroy our lives from the inside out. And so you and I have a choice to make. Are we going to trust in Jesus, live our lives in alignment with Jesus in the scriptures? So I know this is a little heady today, and, and listen, I've been praying over you all week. This is one of those conversations that gives us access into way more of the life that is truly life, but we've got to get this. And so let's talk for a second about the logic of biblical authority, because I understand how, how heady this gets, and so I really want us to land on, on a simple plane. So, so in this conversation, first of all, all, all authority, the assumption here, all authority is rooted in God who is reality. All authority is not in, this, in a book, in a set of books, in a library, but rooted in God who is reality. But because God is relational, he has chosen to use people, human agents, to bring about his kingdom on earth. The greatest ex- example of that is Jesus being fully God and, and fully man. But then he uses prophets of old and the apostles to give us what we call the, the scriptures today. And so God, functioning as, as authority, uses a medium for you and I. Now here's what this means, that, that when we live under the authority of the Bible, we are living under the authority of God himself. You guys tracking with me? 
Okay, this is all from Jesus and his posture towards the scriptures, okay? This is not like, how smart is Drake? And what do the Bible college dudes say? And what do the super conservatives over here say? And what do the liberals say? This is about Jesus and his position on the scriptures and what you and I have the chance to live into. And so if this is true, when we live under the authority of the, of the scriptures, of, under the Bible, we are living under the authority of God himself. What that means is, is as I follow Jesus and I listen to Jesus and I live under Jesus in the scriptures, and I submit to them, and I do this thing called obeying. Ooh, it might be worse than authority. And I live into the reality that the scriptures present, then what we see is this is actually living our lives as an act of worship toward God. Because as I trust in them, I'm really trusting in God. And when I do the opposite, when I rebel against God and the scriptures and his word, when I live out of alignment, not only are there consequences in my life, but then I'm also living out of alignment with God. So, I know it's a lot, but now we're gonna get into the questions that like, just kind of run in your brain that everyone's got to ask, right? Well, what about the Bible being a story, and how, how do we live under the authority of a story, and like, how do you pick and choose, right? Like, like, like some people obey some things and not the others, and like, how, like, do you pick and choose? Does each church pick and choose? Like, how do we know what parts of it to follow, and what do we not follow, and, and what about when it contradicts itself, because there's some stuff that's, out of alignment, and so let me just kind of walk you through this for a second, okay? If, if the Bible is a story, and, and, and it's full of stuff, right? There are commands in certain parts of the story that were right for one part that are no longer right for our part of the story. So think linear, timeline, okay? We're in a part of the story. And he, write, he wrote this amazing ex- essay called, I think it's like, why, how, how can the Bible be authoritative? You can pick it up, it's amazing. But he talks about the Bible as like a five-act Shakespearean play. And each act has a different point and a position. And so there's like act one, two, three, four, and you and I are living in act five. And so what's going on in act five is not the same thing that was going on in act one. And so the Bible is full of stuff in the early parts of the story that no longer have bearing on act five, as in like, right, there's tons of stuff like food laws, stuff about slavery and war and circumcision and like multiracial marriage and all kinds of stuff that was like in the early parts of the story that don't have bearing on you and I today. They were good for that time, but we're living at a different point in the story. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? Paul talks about this way. You can read it on your own. Pick up the book of Galatians in the New Testament. He talks about the Old Testament as this like nanny, if you will, or like this tutor. That There was a point in time where it was good for the story, and now because of Jesus, things are shifting. And so it's just like my kids, right? My kids are four and six. I love them. They have a bedtime. Both their butts are in the bathtub at 7.30, right? It's a hard 7.30 in the bathtub. But later in life, I hope they grow out of that, right? I hope I'm not having, you know, 16 years old. Take your clothes off. Get in the bathtub. Quit splashing your brother. Hopefully they're not in the bathtub at the same time at 16. Right, there's things that are gonna change. There are rules in their life for now. There are things in their life today that will be obsolete later. It's a different part of the story. You and I don't follow just the rules of the Bible. We're also living into the story of the Bible. And it's important that you and I recognize what part of the story we're in, okay? Little, little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, right? Feeling a little better? You're like, okay, maybe we're in a good part of the story. Okay, so, so listen, you and I are living in the last act, if you will, act five, between the book of Acts and Revelation. So you pick up your Bible, open it up from Matthew all the way to the right. We're living in that part. Pick up the book of Acts after Jesus ascends. He's he's murdered on a cross, buried, rises again. The church kicks off, and you and I are living between the books of Acts and Revelation right now, act five. So 
don't miss that much of the Bible isn't what we do, but it's stories and reality that you and I are invited to live into. So you gotta ask the question, how is the Bible actually authoritative for my life if it's story? Because stories give us a, an access point into reality, gets in our head and our heart, and it gives us a compelling worldview for a different way of living. The Bible is not a rule book and a manual for life, but it does have a lot of rules. So what do we do with those? So let me give you just like some quick four basic rules of hermeneutics. I had to use that word just because I want you to know that you get what you pay for around here, okay? But <laughs> that's a joke. But that word literally means proper interpretation. Um, four basic rules agreed upon both history and, and uh, across, you know, Christianity, that proper interpretation of the Bible. Number one, we're looking at authorial intent. Like, how, how do we know what to pick up and what to put down in the Bible? Number one, we're always looking at what, are the, what was the original author's intent and who were they writing to? We always start there. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say, and people have done it all the time, or many times, and some of us are guilty of it. And many of you have been hurt by people who made the Bible say something it wasn't saying in order to prove a point to you. And you're like, forget that, I'm out. We always start with authorial intent. The second thing is this, the Bible is a long, complex story, and the overall narrative is authoritative for all Jesus followers, okay? So, so don't miss that it's connected together. Genesis 3 and Matthew 4, we just looked at those, they're parallels. Paul would tell us that, that Jesus is the second Adam to accomplish what, what our, the first Adam failed to do. You guys with me? It's a story, and it's connected. So they are working together. The overall narrative is authoritative. Number three, we live at the same part of the story as the New Testament church. And so because there's different parts of the story, not everything in the whole arc is binding on every part of the story. Last thing is this. This is some, sometimes gonna require cultural translation where the meaning of symbols has changed. So for you and I, Matthew to the right, as Jesus follower, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, we obey all of it. All of it, except for like obscure things like in one of Paul's letters, he's like, hey, go, go to Troas and find my coat. You don't have to do that, okay? You're off the hook for that one, okay? So unless there's something like really specific for an individual, you and I are to obey all of Matthew to the right. But this sometimes requires cultural translation where the meaning and symbols have changed. Like, I know you're thinking about it, right? Greetings with a holy kiss. I tried to bring it back last week and everybody was hating on it. Greet everyone with a holy kiss, right? We don't have to do that. Women in head coverings. Listen, a bunch of you guys did not follow the rules this week. It's a joke, right? We don't do that. Oh my goodness. Men in long hair. Listen, the mullet's coming back and I'm excited about it, okay? <laughs> Men in long hair. We don't have to write tattoos. I had someone ask me like, okay, what about tattoos? Well, I'm just a sinner, okay? Like, just, I, I, just, I just disagree with God about tattoos. No, it, it, it's binding on one part of the story because it has different symbols. Honor the emperor. You don't have an emperor. <laughs> So, I mean, you, you can, you know, try, I guess, or move somewhere you can find one, but you're like, oh, crap, <laughs> we can't live here. We don't have an emperor. Here, here's what you, what's unique about this last part is that we actually are still obeying these things, but we're just in a different part of the story, and so they, they work out in different ways. So greeting each other with a kiss was, in that culture, greeting people with love and affection like family. And so the more appropriate space for you might be a side hug or a high five or a handshake or some of you are like, no touchy, just don't, don't touch me at all. I like you from over here, right? But, but you and I can still greet people with love and affection like family today with a different posture, right? And so I, I know what you're thinking. If it's that simple, then why is there all this confusion? Why all these different divisions? Why all of the issues that we face? 
And I just want to encourage you in this. Listen, when it comes to essentials on the Christian faith, all followers agree across history and the world of the essential Christian doctrines, okay? So like, that's not really what's up for debate here. That's consistent. Jesus is the only way, stuff like that. Even when the Bible is clear, though, in its meaning, it doesn't mean that you and I are always clear in, in interpretation. And I think this is where we, we, just in our pride, we talked about posture last week, right? We all have baggage and biases and assumption and personality and experiences that are playing into how we read things. And to pretend like that's not the case and like we're just the ultimate authority is, is kind of arrogant. And so just even if the Bible or the scriptures are clear, it, it doesn't mean you and I are in our interpretation. But here's, here's the one that hit me the hardest as I was studying N.T. Wright's like, like really dense essay in all of this. Most of the areas where, where people are taking issue with the Bible, including myself, most of us, when we struggle with the Bible, it's not where it's not clear, but rather where it's very clear. I mean, we just don't like it. So I'm going to invite Daniel to come, because what, what better way to end it right now than like everybody being offended, right? So the, the reality is there's some things that are very clear in the scriptures that we just don't like. The Bible talks about money and stuff in a way that makes us very uncomfortable, and so we try to allegorize it and like, act like, oh, no, God doesn't really care but what I do with my finances and how I live my life and how I live as a consumer versus a contributor. And he talks about relationships and the need for community and sexuality and judgment and social justice, which is really funny issue between two kind of poles in our political spectrum. And then, you know, heaven and hell, we don't want to talk about that. And Jesus being the only way. I mean, there's some things that scripture is very, very clear on that just make us uncomfortable. Or, or they worry us because of how it might offend somebody else. And so here's where we are, is as we trust in Jesus, we have the chance to trust in Scripture. And you and I are leaning into a dialogue and a story of Scripture and tradition. Like, like over the last thousands of years, how has the Bible been read? We don't ignore that. And now we're just evaluating posture. I, I told you last week that posture is more important. We can show up as critics, we can show up as defendants, or we can show up as apprentices under Jesus. And that posture sets the tone for what we're dealing with. You see, the scriptures are pointing us to Jesus and to have our lives aligned with reality, with the reality of his kingdom. Is he really good? Does he really want your good? And we gotta be careful, guys, because you and I can study the Bible to find alignment with our own personal agendas and preferences, and, and we can seek to discover our own agendas rather than God's will for our lives. We can all manipulate it. We can, we can read it for validation rather than for revelation from God and miss out completely on what he has for us. And this is all invitational. Don't, don't miss the invitation here. The invitation is to know God and his will and his love for your life. Not to get the Bible to line up with our issues of choice, but to align our lives with God and love of neighbor and love of self. And it all comes back to trust. That's where we started, that's where we're ending. And this is the gateway into what Jesus called the abundant life, or life that is truly life. This access point into reality as God has wired you and relationships to work and this life to be lived. And over and over again, we're invited to trust in a couple of different things. You can trust in yourself, which I'm far too guilty of, you can trust in the culture around you, which I'm far too guilty of because I'm worried about what other people are going to think if I don't follow that, or I can trust in Jesus. And sometimes those are in alignment. 
and sometimes they're not. And my invitation is, do I trust in Jesus? Over and over again, he used this word. He would invite people to repent and believe. Repent and believe. And what that word repent means, it means to rethink everything that you and I think that we know is true. Everything we think will lead to life. Everything we think we need that we're craving to have that life to the full. He says, rethink it all and trust in me. Trust in my teachings. To repent and believe is to trust in Jesus and accept that we might not have it all figured out. That the invitation into reality is what we're wired for and made for. And so here's my questions for you as we kind of land the plane today. Where's your struggle as you showed up today or or as we've been talking? Like, 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 what does God have to say about that thing you've been struggling with through the scriptures? Like, do you even know? There's Bibles in every seat back in front of you, a gift to you. Take it home. Open it up. Dig in. Where is it that you need to trust in Jesus today? Is there a clear command in Scripture that you just don't like? (laughs) You've just been pushing. I'm with you. There's a bunch of stuff in the Bible I don't like. Like, dang, I wish I wasn't in there. Give me a pair of scissors. Cut that part out. Is there a clear statement about, a re, about reality that you're resisting? Is, an area, is there an area of obedience that you've just been kind of dragging your feet on? You know Jesus said to do it. You're like, I don't know, man. Listen, here's the, here's the invitation. This week, every day, just create space. Pick up the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, it's the book right before Acts. Just pick it up and, and, and just start leaning into the story of the scriptures. And let that story begin to inform your story. Just a chapter a day. Just try it. it takes you 21 days to get to the book of John. And then you can just kind of roll right into the book of Acts, into the new reality, the story that you and I are living in. And just begin to saturate your story with God's story. And just, just be open to letting it question parts of your story. And ask the question, how am I living out this story in my story? And listen, if you're, if you're not a Jesus follower in the room, I just want you to know that the entire story of the scriptures is about God intersecting your story. It's an amazing story all about the God of the universe loving you. That he wants your good and your ultimate good was provided through Jesus who came to live a life that you and I can't live, to die the death that we, 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 we deserve to die, to raise again like you and I can't, to give us life, to bring us back into relationship with God, to restore us into the story that we were made for, and then inviting us to live that story out. And it's all invitational, it's all relational, and it's all for free because Jesus paid for it. So I don't know where you are on your story. I'm just gonna invite you to kind of reflect and respond today. Will you bow your heads with me? As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm just going to invite you to kind of consider where you are. It's a moment of privacy for you, just in your own heart and mind, kind of reflecting on all that we've covered. Listen, I, I know it's a lot of information today. Maybe it feels a little bit more like a lecture than an than a encouraging Mother's Day message. But I don't want you to miss the heart. I don't need you to trust in me. And inviting you to trust in Jesus. 
And if Jesus trusted in the scriptures as authority and an act of worship toward God, and you and I, man, if we can trust in Jesus, and we can trust the scriptures as authority in our lives as an act of worship toward God, we can trust that what he wants for us is our good, that it's going to bring him glory, and it's going to be for the good of others. So wherever your heart is this morning, I want you to know you're invited. You're invited into God's story. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room this morning, I want you to know that he has made a way for you to come back into his story. This incredible love story of God pursuing humanity even when we didn't trust him, when we continued to reject him, he pursued us all the way to the cross. And he gave so that we could receive. We don't earn it. We don't maintain it. We don't behave our way into a relationship with God. We don't perform for it. We don't go to church enough and read the Bible and do a bunch of rites and, and, and try to figure it all out in order to make God happy with us. We simply choose to trust. Jesus is who he said he was. He can do in my life and in your life what he said he would do. And when we choose to receive that gift and to trust in him for new life, we can begin to walk into this new reality and the story of Jesus and his kingdom coming alive in and through us. If you're a Jesus follower in the room, this new reality doesn't stop with you. But Jesus wants to bring his kingdom to earth through you. Moms in the room as you love your kids. Husbands in the room as you love your spouse. Kids in the room as you honor your parents and serve and connect with your peers. As we work and we live and we play. As we engage with neighbors and extended family and we have hard conversations and dialogue. Jesus is working in and through us to bring the reality of the kingdom of God in and through our lives to those around us. So where do you need to trust Jesus today? So Jesus, we want to have a posture of humility to respond and submit out of joy and invite your reality of living into our lives today. Jesus, we trust you. Amen.